Uh, I'm Dan Kodaya. Um, I grew up in New Zealand, but I live in Bondi Beach, and I'm 36. I'm a brand designer. Um, life in New Zealand was really kind of idyllic. I grew up in a city of um, less than 100,000 people, which we call a city in New Zealand. Uh, and uh, on the coast, had really wonderful community, um, access to nature, and um, really it wasn't until I moved to Australia that I realised how progressive the politics in New Zealand have been, even the kind of more centre-right parties, the, the, the kind of um, way that progressive policies have been always at the forefront in New Zealand, like um, women's voting, um, the right for queer people to marry, they're about to have a, a referendum on legalising marijuana, it's been legal to use it um, medicinally for a while, so... Yeah, it, it was quite a shock, actually, moving here. But um, there's a lot of similarities as well in terms of kind of the lifestyle, laid-back lifestyle, and um, the kind of attitude that, you know, she'll be right attitude. <laughs> so my family, um, my father was actually nearly twice my mum's age when they got married, and he'd already been married, so I've got four um, half-brothers and sisters, um, two full sisters, and then my father passed away when I was um, in my uh, middle school years, and my mum remarried uh, later in life. So I've got two stepsisters as well. So it's a big, diverse family. Um, London, Perth, me here in Sydney, um, Auckland. So, yeah, we're kind of all spread around. Um, but pretty close, um, despite not necessarily all living together growing up. Um, have really good relationships with like all of my siblings, which I'm grateful for. Um, coming out as like gay, um, my family was quite conservative in their kind of like background with that. And um, my mum and dad were always involved in the local Anglican church, so there was some conflict there. Um, and there were a few years where that was quite difficult to navigate, as a lot of queer people I'm sure can relate to. But um, I'm very grateful that over time those relationships have um, kind of been rebuilt and even though we might not necessarily agree on everything, um, there's kind of this sense that it's more important for love to kind of be the, uh, the binding thing and that everything else will kind of work itself out. So I'm lucky in that sense. Mm, school life was... Uh, great I loved school and it was interesting because both my mum and my dad were on the campus my my father founded a tertiary institute that was on the same campus as my high school um, my mum was one of the senior teaching staff at the school so um, we were really kind of connected to I guess the staff community um, the board community and and it was a smaller um, integrated Christian school um, so I think you know probably 1,500 students at any time. So you, you kind of got to know people well. There were about 40 kids in my senior class. So, um, yeah, I had really good friendships in high school um, that a number of them I actually still see and catch up with, which is really special. Um, because, you know, people that you've known since you were 10, 11, 12, like those kind of, like, 
years and years and years of friendship and um, that's really kind of amazing to have. I felt like I had a lot of opportunity to kind of express myself, um, even though I hadn't come out at that stage. Um, there was a lot of support for, you know, the creative arts and, um, yeah, it was, there weren't, because I think there was the smaller class sizes, there weren't that kind of, like, cliched cliques that you see in, you know, movies or whatever. Um, we had a really, like, uh, broad group of friends in our year um, and sort of everyone was invited to everything. And so that was a, a great environment to kind of be learning and also developing friendships and, um, you know, becoming an adult. So, yeah, in terms of becoming a designer, um, in high school, I was very much drawn to um, art. So I did painting, photography, and I also did um, more traditional, like, design and woodwork course. My school, I mean, this is the late 90s, so my school hadn't really developed a digital design curriculum at that stage, um, and the computer sciences classes were all kind of about coding and like you know web 1.0 so I wasn't as interested in that side of things um, but it's more as I came out of high school moved to Sydney and started to get exposed I guess a little bit more to the design world that I realized that um, design was an avenue that I could actually use the things that I felt like I was good at uh, and enjoyed and and kind of collaborate with clients to um, create beautiful, helpful pieces of design in the world um, and, and actually make a living from it, which, you know, is amazing. <laughs> so I had been studying a sort of music diploma when I first moved to Sydney and um, was kind of working for um, a not-for-profit and working with designers, sort of briefing them on um, projects and then I sort of put my hand up and said, well, you know, if we ever need in-house stuff done, like I'd be keen to get on the tools and um, do stuff. So I started just like that, like teaching myself basically by talking to the, the designers I was working with and just soaking up as much information as I could from them and then just Googling anything technically I couldn't work out how to do. Um, you know, started in Photoshop and then realized that for print, InDesign and Illustrator were definitely the way to go. And um, yeah, it was sort of like this period of maybe three or four years where I was um, kind of faking it till you make it, you know? Like I just had a desire to do it. I think I had the ability to kind of see what I wanted to create and it was just a matter of then learning the skills to actually achieve that. So my first kind of gigs actually as a designer were... I had been living out in the western suburbs of Sydney and I decided that I wanted to move into the city, so I moved into Redfern. And um, basically, I'd, through the relationships I'd built in my kind of communications role in that not-for-profit, I'd uh, had word of mouth, basically. People had said, oh, you know, Dan's going out on his own and he, he can do design stuff. And so I just kind of picked up a few clients that, you know, had small budgets and just were looking for someone starting out and I guess were willing to take a risk and for a long time I supplemented my design income with just working in hospitality you know um, bars and cafes um, but you know when you're in your early 20s and 
if you're living in a share house in Redfern, you can kind of like make things work. Like you're not, spe- you know, your biggest expenses are probably alcohol and food. And, you know, like I was paying nothing for rent. Um, so it was just that balancing act of um, building up your portfolio, uh, working with the kind of clients. Because I went freelance so early, it gave me the opportunity to also work with the kind of clients that I wanted to. And I always knew that with design, I didn't want to just design for design's sake. I wanted to work with um, like-minded businesses, um, not necessarily people who are like changing the world, but people who care about the world and bring that point of reference into their work. And so, um, yeah, it was that thing of like, starting out and actually getting to choose the people that I was working with. And because I was earning an income that covered my rent and expenses um, by working a few days a week in hospitality, I actually did have that opportunity to, a little, to be a little bit more picky, I guess, right from the get-go um, in my career, which I think is something that's flowed through um, as I've worked. I mean, I've spent probably three or four times the the amount of like time in my career working freelance than I have actually working for a studio or an agency. So, um, and that's driven by the fact that I, well, A, want to be, you know, able to choose my clients and, and B, I love the variety of having, you know, multiple projects on the go at once. So it's all so objective when you're talking about design and branding because, you know, clients are always going to come in with their, um, their set of filters, their background, their life experience, and they're the one paying the bills. So you've got to find that sweet spot of things that you believe in, but that meet what they're looking for, you know. Black Lives Matter has obviously uh, got a huge amount of momentum at the moment, and I've been spending a lot of time in the last few months um, kind of actually really unlearning and and seeing how much, you know, as a, even as a queer person, but as a white man, how much I benefit from um, the systems in our society that favor white people and men. And um, so when the David Dungay um, protest was happening in Sydney, I wanted to create some placards for people to be able to just download for free. But I, I also really f- felt the weight of not necessarily being a part of that community and um, knowing that this is not an opportunity to kind of leverage my brand and my work. So I really tried to create these placards that were almost undesigned. They were just black text on a white placard and I just wanted to create a tool that anyone could pick up and use and that I wasn't necessarily going to get credit for. Um, But that was a very kind of small gesture of solidarity, I guess, with the Black Lives Matters movement and with, um, you know, BIPOC people here and all around the world. Um, I think what's far more important is that I've been spending a lot of time in the last few months... um, reading and trying to educate myself on those gaps in knowledge that I didn't even realize I had. 
um, because the, the deeper I kind of go into that work, the more I realize that, you know, as designers, everything that we do is informed by our experience, the world that we live in, um, and even our tastes are informed by what historically really a Eurocentric worldview has said um, is right. And so, yeah, I'm kind of still working through all of that stuff. I'm, I'm part of a reading group of actually designers and we're talking about, you know, how we benefit from white supremacy, um, how we can actively work to decolonize uh, the design industry from our particular um, you know, positions of privilege. But I definitely don't have the answers and um, I'm also just really actively trying to say yes to any opportunities that come up to support that community. So a good friend of mine, uh, Jamal's on Mars, just recently has been campaigning to um, the New South Wales Education Minister to l legislate that um, natural black hairstyles be um, uh, not allowed to be banned in schools um, because the whole way that school uniform policies is written is white-centric, Eurocentric, and it calls, you know, natural hairstyles and protective hairstyles for um, people of the African diaspora um, extreme hairstyles and it's just that embedding of a Eurocentric you know white supremacist um, point of view in every sort of facet of society that we have to be actively campaigning against and so you know he he hit me up to see if I could support him with some graphic design stuff and it's kind of like in the middle of some family drama going on and normally I probably would have been like oh I'm just too busy right now but I was just like yes please like <laughs> I'd love to help so that that has been really um cool to see that kind of go out into the world and and, and it, it is actively having an impact you know there's 25,000 people who have signed the petition and he just finally recently got a response from the New South Wales um Minister for Education um, and you know he's he's continuing that fight, and I'm I'm gonna keep supporting him as I can. So it's like wonderful to see that you can um, take you know your commercial um, design practice and then leverage it for um, the benefit of other communities. And you know, obviously, as a queer person, that's something I, I've been like actively trying to do as well for our community. Um, but I think right now, um, more than ever, we should be focused on, you know, the um, BIPOC community. Well, so in terms of um, working under the moniker of New Exhibition, it's actually something that I, I've been using for over a decade. So, um, you know, really early in my career, rather than going by Dan Kodair, I started using New Exhibition as kind of like the overarching... Um, work name it kind of came out of this desire to you know I work really collaboratively I'll often um, when I kind of quote work 
I'll build into the quote, you know, room for illustrators or, you know, um, someone else to do the web development. And so even though technically New York Exhibition is just me, there's kind of this team of people that I um, pull resources from and it felt right to not necessarily just use my name um, but to actually kind of like have a broader kind of co collective. Um, also, my surname's impossible for people to pronounce. So, uh, New Exhibition, I liked this idea of, um, you know, any kind of branding is really my passion and um, giving people the tools to kind of put their product or their um, services or um, organization, you know, values out into the world. And every brand is kind of on display. And so I, I loved this idea that um, as kind of a branding focused designer, you're giving people kind of the ability to display themselves and to um, engage with the world. So the idea of this exhibition and um, often it's a rebrand or the first time that these organizations have uh, done that work. So this, there's always that sense of when you do that work, it's this renewing or, or newness to it. So, um, My personality is very much an extrovert. Um, I also, I think, because I grew up in the kind of faith community and had modeled to me this idea of our family was part of this broader family and um, both my parents had cancer during my childhood and I had um, the experience of so many people caring for our family and um, looking out for us. And while I've walked away from maybe the faith aspect of that, um, spiritualism is really important to me, but I think the way that um, different religions in our world kind of hold on to power is, is really the issue with religion. Um, but the sense of trying to build community has really been, I guess, a constant theme in my life. And I've never really been a person who jumped from relationship to relationship in terms of like, you know, romantic partners. Um, I didn't come out until my late 20s. So like most of my 20s I spent um, not really uh, dating people. So it was really important for me to find that idea of family in other parts of my life. And particularly when, I, when things were rough with my mum, having that chosen family to go to for support. And um, yeah, I've been really, really, really lucky right throughout my life to, to build beautiful, deep friendships. And um, now, you know, having lived in Sydney for so long, I've had a bunch of friends who lived in Sydney for short periods of time who are now based in New York or, um, you know, Stockholm, Oslo, Amsterdam, uh, other parts of Europe. And having that kind of like friendships all around the world has allowed me to travel and, you know, experience other cultures and um, spend time in other parts of the world, which has really um, informed who I am as a person uh, and also I'm sure 
informs my design practice as well. Um, but yeah, that kind of sense of community has really been hugely valuable um, and I think something that I've prioritised. I tend to be drawn to people who are also you know, creative, but creative in a whole realm of industries. So you know, looking at the people in our building, we've got interior stylists, um, fashion stylists, people working in construction, um, a lawyer, people in the music industry. You know, it's like this kind of really broad idea of what creativity is. And I think when you can kind of come together and collaborate with lots of different kinds of people, um, ultimately the things that you build together are gonna be far more valuable than something that you just do from your singular perspective. Yeah. Um, I do think as well though, there's something to be said about investing in chosen kind of relationships where, so you're not spreading yourself too thinly across you know a ton of different social circles um as an extrovert i can kind of like float between like a ton of different environments but i'll always kind of come back to those really deep um close friendships that um you know the people who've done that journey with you for so long and they've seen you really grow and develop and there have been times where there's been friction or it's been difficult, but we've put in the work to um, get through those moments and to, um, you know, we've, we've chosen that the friendship is more important than this argument or whatever. And, and those friendships are so, so, so important to me and valuable to me. Uh, I moved into my apartment complex in Bondi about 15 years ago. It's um, a lovely little block of eight art deco and over the years as um, apartments have become available I've had friends who've been looking for apartments and um, the timing's worked and they've moved in so now we've got six out of the eight are, um, are people who I'm friends with and that's been so incredible because um, you know we have this great communal shared backyard and we're able to spend time like in lockdown doing projects together you know we did a whole tie-dyeing day recently we just set up an outdoor cinema with a projector um we have a fire pit out there so we spend lots of evenings in winter out there with the fire and you're able to kind of like um particularly when we had the um lockdown and you weren't really able to see people, that really kept me sane as an extrovert, being able to go out into the backyard and spend time with those people, socially distanced. Um, but along with that, it's you know those just impromptu dinners and um, seeing each other in the hall and being able to check in with each other. And you know everyone's sort of in their 30s, but it's like straight couples, there's a few kids, there's... Um, you know, my, me and my boyfriend, and we're all able to really support each other and care for each other. And um, it's not like we're living on top of each other, but it's that real sense of community in the building, which I think is super rare. Working from home has really like um, increased over the last few months um, during the pandemic. Um, normally, my breakdown of work would be some working from home when I'm doing direct for client jobs. Um, identity work but then I also traditionally would be spending time working from other agencies and um, 
studios on a contract basis. So at the moment, the work that I'm doing is actually much more direct to client. Um, that's been the biggest change during this period for me. Um, in some ways, it's been great because I've picked up some jobs that I may not have done just because the budgets were smaller or um, the when you kind of locked into a contract, you're not able to take on other work. And so being able to say yes to these projects because that contract work is sort of um, a lot quieter has been actually wonderful. Um, and I'm really enjoying the kind of breadth of projects that I'm, I'm, I've been working on during the pandemic. Um, having JobKeeper as well has been like amazing because it just takes that pressure off. You know that whether or not the work keeps flowing, you've got a backup. So that's that's been really helpful. Um, as a Kiwi, like I, I haven't naturalized as an Australian, and so I was looking at potentially going back to New Zealand, um, just because I wasn't sure. I don't qualify for Centrelink, so I wasn't sure how I was gonna manage if I didn't have kind of guaranteed work. I had a bunch of contracts get canceled, you know, right when everything happened. And there was a few weeks where I was just like, oh, I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> and had flights booked to New Zealand. Um, but then once JobKeeper was announced, I was like, oh, okay. I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, I would normally go back every year. Um, I was there for Christmas uh, for two and a half weeks in December, um, which was fabulous. My brother has a beach house in the far north of New Zealand, just on this tiny um, beach community. And there were, I think, 15 of us up at the beach house for um, 10 days. And it was just, manic we drank far too much but it was really good fun i definitely find um that i'm attracted to being on the coast living on the coast being close to water and i think when i first moved to sydney and i was living uh about you know an hour away from the coast out in the far west um i lived out there for about three years and then i moved into redfern and I had the opportunity to move to Bondi. And I kind of joke, well, if I move again, I'm gonna have to move into the Pacific. Like, <laughs> but um, it was when I made that move from Redfern to Bondi, I realized how much I'd missed living near the water and that ability, I have a greyhound and the ability to take him for a walk down to the beach every afternoon and just look out at that expanse. And I think as Sydney siders, um, we're maybe not um, cognizant of how fortunate we are to have the ability to live in a city and have all the opportunities that gives us in terms of work and culture and but also to then have such amazing access to the natural world um, and I've spent time in Europe in Asia in uh, North America and every time I come home I just am grateful for where I get to live um, as much as I love traveling, it's always just such a pleasure to get back and to, you know, we're incredible. You know, Australia is known as the lucky country. And I think despite the difficulties um, that exist in our nation, we really are very fortunate. I 
um, spent two summers in New York and loved it, like had the, the best time. Um, but the, the pace of life there, I was like, I could never live here full time because there's just, everyone is just constantly driving, you know, and um, pushing forward. And, you know, I have ambition, but I also really value um, that ability to kind of like switch off and um, get away from work. Uh, and I, I feel like there are some cities, London and New York particularly, where it's just not an option, you know? Like, you, you've got to constantly be working to stay afloat. Um, my boyfriend and I just spent 10 days camping up. And we went up to Crescent and then up to Byron for a friend's 30th and then came back through Dorigo National Park and spent a few more nights camping there. And that ability to just be completely like out of reception, uh, look up at night at like the brightest Milky Way that I think I've ever seen. It was just so incredible. And it helps refocus you and helps you understand that we're so kind of insignificant in the scheme of things. Um, yes, like we, we, we have things going on in our world that are difficult that we have to work through or wonderful things happening as well but you know it's just that sense of like wow we're actually very small and um I think that's a good thing to keep you know in the frame <laughs> so I mean aside from my um design practice um like probably the the thing that I love to do most is to cook and I love the way that cooking gathers people. Um, it's one of those things that just facilitates um, a relaxed openness. And, you know, you see that in families. You see that in, um, you know, my building community. You see it in kind of broader social circles. Um, and I, yeah, I think that it's one of the most beautiful things you can kind of give to people because it, it's so... It's such a small moment, you know, it's over and like the food is gone in an hour, but um, what it actually is able to kind of like facilitate lasts for, you know, potentially forever. Um, and we have this ongoing tradition. Um, we throw a big Christmas party every summer in my building and it's sort of like, um, Come, living here in Australia, there are so many years where I've not gone back to New Zealand for Christmas and so not being with family. And so um, creating those traditions with your chosen family has been really wonderful. Um, and it's just so fun to get everyone gathered together at that time of year, the people that you care about the most, you know, and to, um, you know, open bottles of wine and sit in the backyard on long kind of tables and um, just spend hours eating and drinking and sharing together. And I think we're, you know, as animals, we all eat, but as humans, there's something about the way that we eat that creates and kind of engenders connection. Um, and yeah, I think we're so lucky that that's a part of what, who we are as people. <laughs>